Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us today on The Good Divorce Show. We are chatting today with Dr. Don Azevedo. Don comes with a long career in uh, clinical psychology. He has practiced in a variety of settings, from hospitals to combat zones to corporate boardrooms, family businesses, individual and group practices. He also specializes in leadership development in the corporate world and marital therapy in the private world. In addition to that, Dr. Azevedo has trained in a number of uh, different models of marital therapy and is really committed to the repair of marriages and families whenever possible. Uh, He is a certified discernment counselor. That process was developed by Dr. Bill Doherty for couples struggling to decide if they want marital therapy or if they're looking for a path to divorce. And we're going to spend some time digging into that and learning more about the discernment process. He is also a certified collaborative divorce coach, something that we chat about here on the show as um, a wonderful option. And in that case, he works with couples who've chosen the path of divorce, but they really are looking to do it with dignity and grace. Please welcome Dr. Don Azevedo. Welcome. Thank you so much, Karen. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Mm-hmm. And I also want to give a shout out that you are a Voice America cousin because you are launching uh, a show as well. You currently have a new show on Voice America. You want to give us just a quick plug because Absolutely. it's relatable to all of this. Yes, it's on the Variety Channel and it's called The Relationship Road Trip, managing all the twists and turns in all the relationships in your life. So if you want to learn how to do this well and how relationships can go, come tune into the show Thursdays at 11 o'clock Eastern. Relationship road trip. Yes. And we should all stop there first in hopes that you don't make it to the divorce. But if you're here listening today because you're either on the fence or you're in the heat of it, or maybe you're in recovery we have a place, a safe place to learn and develop and and grow inside of our relationships. And we often say uh, in the good divorce world, the marriage maybe has ended, but chances are the relationship has not. And there is not a lot of relationship training going out there when we are young. So we're all figuring it out when we're adults. And in particular, we're, we're really speaking to those of you today um, in this first segment, who might find themselves in what I remember to be really a tormented period of the divorce process. Are we in? Are we out? Are we in? Are we out? Let's try another counselor. Let's try this thing. Let's try that thing. I don't know. Are we? Is this just a phase? Are we just in crisis? And so would you please just give us a little overview on what discernment counseling is as a starter? Well, you mentioned the, the person who developed it is Dr. Bill Doherty. And he's a clinician and a researcher. So he was frustrated that lots of folks came in for marital therapy and he could not get traction. And what he discerned, what he discerned was that there was a dual agenda happening, that one of the parties had already decided this is not going to work. I'm doing this to check off a box. You know, there's no way anybody can help us get back together again. And that dual agenda needs to be articulated if you're going to heal. 
Oh my so, gosh. This is such a truth. I can just hear listeners out there going, oh yeah, I've been packing my parachute for years and I'm going to yeah. give it another swing, but I've already got one foot out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're in that state, it's really hard for you to notice any changes your partner might be making, any changes you might be making. You know, it, and it becomes this, I only see the data that supports my conclusion that divorce is the solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of the reticular activation system, that RAS brain function that we all have literally that we've trained to look for evidence to support the story we already wrote. Yes. And what I would encourage you to do is look for data that refutes your point of view. Say Mm -hmm. more about that process and why it's important. Because we have this bias, we've made a conclusion. So we want to be right. All human beings want to be right. Um, We look for data that supports our position. And we'll see that very, very quickly. As a matter of fact, will shape data into what we need in order to support our position. What we don't do is see the data that would refute it. We don't see changes that the other person might be trying to make. Certainly, if you've gone to marital therapy at least one time, your partner might have tried to change some things. And unless you reinforce those changes, notice them and say, yes, I like that better than what we were doing before, those new behaviors will disappear and everyone reverts back to whatever the strongest neural pathway is. And that's whatever you've practiced the longest. So as you approach this discernment process, um, walk us through how you would work with a couple. Well, the very first thing that I do is a half hour phone screening uh, with the couple, mostly to make sure that everyone is going to be safe. Divorce process can have a lot of um, impetuous violence. Uh, So when people get emotionally dysregulated and they have access to something that could be destructive, all of a sudden you have a really bad tragedy uh, going on. So I try to make sure everybody is safe, uh, that that's not part of the, the picture with the couple. When I establish that, then we move to the discernment counseling. And the way discernment counseling is structured, it's very short term, and there's only one question that we'll pay attention to, and that is, what is the future of your marriage? And to that question, there are three answers. You can keep the status quo. That's path number one. You can choose to divorce and do that with grace and dignity, hopefully reserving as many of your resources for your children and yourselves as possible. Or the third one is to go, hey, wait a second, this isn't completely dead. Let's dedicate the next six months truly to working hard in marital therapy, recognizing that the only behavior we can change is our own. So creating a list of here are the things I need to change to create a successful relationship instead of these are the things you need to change for us to have a a successful relationship. And then let's track those behaviors. Let's actually record them for six months. No discussion of divorce, no talking to lawyers, none of that. It's really, I'm trying to find my path back to you. I'm trying to rediscover you. It's almost like having the clinician's crystal ball that when couples come in and you begin that process, do you have a little hunch of like, yep, this couple's going to make it and no, this marriage is complete. 
Yes. What are you watching for, listening for? What's kind of the criteria that you, the lens, if you will, that you look through of like, this is a healthy marriage that is under stress and this is an unhealthy marriage that is complete. If I notice behavioral cues that would suggest contempt, verbal cues that suggest criticism, very willing to, to say what the other person is doing wrong, um, stonewalling where they just won't share anything. They lock, log themselves off. If I see those things, I know that this is really, I'm helping these people articulate their case for why they need to end this mm-hmm. because that person that's showing those signs really is not going to come back from that. So in part, what you're identifying is what is known as the the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And there's been research through the Gottman Institute out of Seattle. And, um, and so would you remind us just explicitly what those four kind of behaviors that you may see amongst a really inside a relationship that is probably a signal that it's not going to recover. So it's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Criticism you'll hear in words, contempt you often see in behavior. For defensiveness, instance? also words, stonewalling is again a behavioral. Mm-hmm. Um, you want an instance of what behaviors show contempt? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hard to do on the radio. <laughs> right. But it might be rolling eyes, closed body, sort of dismissive. Those are the things I think of in that contempt is I'm better than you always have been and always will be. And it p- places a judgment. That's kind of my interpretation. Does that ring That's pretty to you? much it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the rolling of the eyes, also the turning of the face, the, the looking at harshly and then turning away. Mm. Like, you're not even worth my time. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. And and so over your many decades of sitting with couples, you probably have that lens. And yet you walk the couple through their five sessions to find their answer. Yes. Because what's important, if you want to get the good divorce, if you want to be on the other side and still be able to interact with one another while you're dealing with children or any other sets of issues, then you you both have to be able to state your case. This is my experience of our marriage. This is what I feel and think and see. And have the other person hear it. They don't have to agree but they have to acknowledge. So you've seen us as this way and these behaviors led to those feelings and these thoughts and those biases and accept. I don't agree with the way you're describing our marriage. And I honor the fact that that is your experience. Oh, I think that's such a jewel that acknowledgement does not equate agreement, but acknowledgement is essential to moving forward through relationships turmoil. Yes. And to grieve and let go and move on. So if you want health for yourself, you need to really hear the other person's point of view and and acknowledge it and acknowledge that it's okay for them to have that point of view and that experience, even if it is not yours. That's right. Now, when, when couples come to you, do they even know that they're coming for discernment counseling, or are they usually coming for marital counseling? And then this is something you offer based on what you're hearing, seeing, 
because I think many of our listeners, myself included, that you know, discern counseling as a process is not well known. It's not well known, and it's relatively new. So it's probably eight years old. Okay, look there. at us on the cutting edge here on yeah. the Good Divorce Show. Yeah, it's it's not much older than that. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it was about eight years ago, is pre-pandemic, that I took the training um, and did all the whole process. Mm -hmm. uh, so you ask the question: Do couples come in for marital therapy, and then I say, "Hey, you really need discernment counseling." That rarely happens okay. because I advertise this, and I have put it out in our community, and lots of other therapists know that I do discernment counseling. Certainly, all of the attorneys in the divorce area know that I do this. Um, and, and attorneys will even tell you they get people in who are ambivalent. Mm, but they this don't is, know where else to turn. So they show up in a lawyer's office like, yeah, we we think we were supposed to get divorced. What it, What is that going to take kind yeah. of thing? And they're like, you should go see Dr. Don. Yes, I get a lot of that. And that's for discernment counseling. Mostly attorneys are sending folks to me. And do you find that those that end up in that work with you, do most of them maintain their marital status? Do most end up getting divorced? Is there any data pattern that you've noticed? I can tell you the data pattern for my practice. And 60% of the couples that come in for discernment counseling end up in divorce. Okay. 40 will choose the path of doing marital therapy. And of those 40, probably half of those just don't make it. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is folks don't really look for help until six years, seven years, eight years into the problem. Six, mm -hmm. seven, eight, 10 years. That's phenomenal. Yeah, And, and the, the most common one, at least for me, is it's in the teens because it's the, the youngest child is getting ready to graduate high school and go off to college. So typically in your practice, do you have a theory about where couples tend to go wrong and where we maybe could have intervened differently or earlier? Generally, they wait too long. They're suffering. They see the symptoms of this. But often when people give me the history of what's going on, it's been six, eight years. It's been a decade. It's been 16 years. It's been 20 years that they have not been in love with their partner. They've just gone through the motions because they don't want a divorce when the kids are young. Lots of different excuses. And one of the breaking points is when their youngest child graduates from high school and is moving off to college. You know, we, we see these couples who are waiting a long time, waiting too long. And, and I agree with that. I think people stay too long and they end up doing more damage. What tends to be a typical kind of escape hatch that you have found? In my area, in my clientele, it's when their youngest child graduates high school and goes on to college. So somewhere in that senior year, they start creeping out of the closet about, I don't want this marriage and you know this is going to end and all of this stuff. And they'll come to me either for marital therapy or They've gone to a lawyer and the lawyer has said, hey, wait a second, I don't know that you're really ready for divorce. Might you try discernment counseling? So they come in and the story they tell me is it's never been a good time while the kids were growing up. So they just sucked it up and did what they had to do to take care of the children, which is noble in one sense and a lie in the other. Oh, so let's dive into this. I think this is really essential. And I think it's a, a divorce myth. 
that waiting for the kids to graduate kind of lets us off the hook of what kind of impact it will have on our children. More than likely, your children have already seen that the relationship is not working well, and they see it in small behaviors. There's very little public display of affection, no handholding, don't sit together. There is utility speech between the two of you, so you get things done, but not tenderness, not uh, joy at being in one another's company, and kids pick up on all of those things. So they see a couple who's actually going through the motions and getting everything done that needs to get done, cooperating with one another to make the children get to where they need to go, all the rest of that stuff. But they don't see the small nuance of love, affection, appreciation, respect. None of those are coming across behaviorally. The child may or may not be able to put words to that, but they certainly see it. Mm-hmm. And that becomes their model for marriage. Yes. And their expectation. This is what I can expect from somebody else. They're just going to be utilitarian. And then we have to remember that is the story that then goes with that child into their adult relationships. So in our pursuit to protect our children um, from divorce, we're just exposing them to bad marriages, potentially. Yeah giving them a model that is not a very good framework going into their own young adult and adult life. Yes. And if you believe Harville Hendricks, uh, another therapist who wrote a wonderful book called Getting the Love You Want, uh, he will tell you that you then try to resolve the issues of your parents' marriage with your new partner. (laughs) And that doesn't work. And it works even worse if your new partner also is trying to resolve their parents' marriage in, in your marriage. It gets very crazy. And this idea that, oh, we'll wait till the kids go to college because then, you know, they're on their own. But, you know, I just graduated a daughter from high school three days ago. And I know that the stability of of knowing how my family works, you know, that and and having a launch pad that's stable, even though she is a child of divorce, our family is very well practiced and how we are a divorced family. And I find that there's this cliff when you divorce afterwards, the kids don't have any past history or model for where do I go for Christmas and how do I communicate with both my parents? And I don't even know how they talk to each other. So how am I supposed to talk to them? Like there's no practicing of this new family structure that is still really essentially important in our 20s. Yeah. I, I would argue throughout your life, right? Because right. you're still, you're looking at your parents as models for all the different stages that you're going to go through. Even if your parents were together, you're looking at them as a model for, well, how does retirement work? And then how does, you know, nearing death work and the transition in death? We're always watching our parents as models of how we should be in the world. It's a very natural continuation of being a child. Mm. Now, hopefully you have more awareness and more intentionality as an adult so that you can separate, well, this is how my mom or my dad is doing this, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be how I do it. Not everyone has that level of insight or mindfulness. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to dive into another field that you are very proficient in as a collaborative divorce coach and hearing more about sort of the coaching support as well as that collaborative process 
which both of us really recommend. Um, let's help each other find a path that is graceful and dignified as we walk through the divorce. Yes. Stay with us, listeners. When we return, Dr. Don Azevedo continues our conversation here today on The Good Divorce Show. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Before you call the lawyer, call the good divorce coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me here on The Good Divorce Show. I am your Good Divorce Coach, Karen McNenny, chatting today with Dr. Don Azevedo, a long career in clinical psychology. We just heard a little more about discernment counseling and I, I also wanted to ask, how does the journey end up typically going? So the model is five sessions is the max, and each session is two hours. Each session is broken into uh, time the couple together. That's where I see the four horsemen. Uh, then each person works with me alone to discover what behaviors they're engaging in that is blocking the marriage from being the loving, kind place that they want it to be. Um, and then they report out to one another at the very end for about 15 minutes. Here's what I learned. This is the things I'm doing that prevent us from getting together. And the other person shares the same. And it's at that point that compassion might kick in and we have the path for marriage, uh, marriage therapy, or they recognize, you know what, this is a longstanding thing. And I don't think I can get over it. I don't think I can change my behaviors. And I really don't believe that you will so let's get out. Folks find their answer usually within three sessions. No kidding. Yeah. Well, because they've articulated their point of view. They've told their story. They've been listened to. And I coach the other person to reflect back what they heard and understood. And again, just acknowledge that's your truth. And I'm sad that it's your truth. Uh, I would love to change that. And I get the idea that it, I can't do that. Like, like Bonnie Raitt said, I can't make you love me if you don't. 
<laughs> oh, I'm so glad we got a Bonnie Ray quote. Hey, yep. I love Bonnie. Yeah. And, and, and how very true. And, and what I really appreciate what you're saying is that it takes so much ownership, like that personal accountability. And we move out of the blame game into ownership. And I will say that's true for all things, except when domestic violence is present, alcohol or drugs are present, in which case the person who's not doing the drugs, not doing the violence, they may have some involvement in this because any relationship requires two people to be in it, but those other substances are killing your marriage. So the couple that comes to the awakened moment that our marriage is complete and we're going to dissolve do you then provide some options, effort, this support? Um, I always say, you know, lawyers are really good at getting us divorced, but we need help on how to be divorced. Yes. And so I'll do all of those things. The The first part, though, is using collaborative divorce rather than litigation. Um, in, in litigation, you get torn apart and a judge hears maybe 25%, and that's generous, of the information available to make life-changing decisions for you and your kids makes the decision and goes home. And, and reminding a, our listeners, the litigation is when you are, it's like what we see in the movies. You're now in the court, you've lawyered up and the judge is going to make decisions for you. You lose your power. And sometimes the lawyers are the one who've already taken your process and they're holding it hostage and they're having their own battle to get as much as they can for you and for them, which the collaborative process is remarkably different. If you wouldn't mind talking about some of the, the hallmark tenets of the collaborative divorce journey. Okay. So this is also a new thing. It was developed in 1990 by a Minnesota family lawyer, Stuart Webb. He was the first one who said, this is wrong. What we're doing, applying uh, the rules of the court for crimes to marriage is wrong. Oh, I couldn't uh, agree anymore. Thank you, yeah. Stuart. Yes. He, and he had a lot of blowback from his colleagues at first. They have adopted it very rapidly because, you know, attorneys actually do have hearts, even though that's trained out of them to some extent. They really do have hearts and they want to do good things for people. Um, they want to protect folks using the law. So um, he wanted to take the damage and the drain out of that, that process I will tell you that more than 22,000 lawyers have been trained in collaborative divorce worldwide. It's fastest growing in England, which is amazing. Um, and that 46 states in the United States have laws, have enacted laws or have laws about to be enacted to make collaborative divorce a legitimate thing in the states and states actually control marriage and divorce. All of that is wonderful. And it, it gives us the option of sit, sitting down, each with an attorney. So uh, collaborative divorce is still a adversarial process, the way that it's structured. You have your um, gladiator and your partner has a gladiator, but they don't fight. They come in with a cup of tea and they have a, a conversation about, so what makes sense here? What's your goal uh, in, in divorcing? What would you hope for on the other side? the good divorce, right? Okay. Well, if that's our goal, then what are our needs in order to be able to do that? And let's get all those needs out. Then they start solving for how does money go where, how does property go where, you know, how do we share the children? Um, 
how do we make decisions going forward and support one another going forward? All of that discussion happens after you've clarified, this is our goal for divorce, the life we want to live on the other side. And then here are our needs in order to do that. Now, amazingly enough, if you can do that in your marriage before you get to this point, you will have an extraordinary happy marriage. You know, it may not always be happy. You'll go through rough times. You'll actually fall all over the place and you'll make mistakes and all of that. And you'll have a path to correction because you're willing to be vulnerable and put your needs out on the table. And you're willing to have grace and listen to the needs of your partner and then solve problems to accommodate all of those needs. Oh my goodness. You speak truth. And I I can't tell you how many times I've had divorce coaching clients. I tend to work with couples. That's my preference. I think we get the best outcome if we're in a collaborative conversation, but, but them turning to each other and like, I wish we would have done some of this while we were still married. (laughs) I wish we had these tools available. Yes. Yes. And amazingly enough, those tools have been available. You just waited too long to try and get them. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes there's other professionals involved in the collaborative divorce team. Yes. So it's not just attorneys. Uh, I am a, a certified collaborative divorce coach. So what that means is I work with the couple to drain off the emotionality when emotions get big so that they're able to come back and think more rationally using their emotions as information, but being able to articulate what the emotion was and what triggered it. Because usually that's saying that there's a need here that I don't know how to talk about. I need help figuring out how to talk about. Um, and that's important to get on the table. That's mm-hmm. my role. And I also, I, I, the coach in the process is often the one who helps them establish this is our goal for our divorce. This is what we want to look like on the other side. And here are our needs. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's our specialty in finding those things. I write all that down, by the way, so that in every conference, it's there for all people to see. The attorneys, the coaches, the, the, the um, voice of the child, everybody sees it. And we map solutions to those needs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like divorce is also kind of a grand project management process. And, and that's the two sides you're saying, like we have this project management piece, but it's so informed with our emotions that they get conflated and kind of blow up the project. It's my understanding that one of the agreements with collaborative divorce is that from the beginning, you say, we will not litigate. We will not go to court. Is it the same back East? Yes. It's, it's the same with all of the collaborative divorce laws. I love attorneys. I really do. They're wonderful people. And they also get caught up in what is my responsibility? What are my ethics? And if you're my client, what I've been trained is my job is to zealously defend your position. Okay? Um, that's their training. I honor that. It becomes problematic in divorce. You can, if you decide I'm jettisoning, jettisoning the collaborative divorce process and going into litigation, You can do that under the agreements, but the attorneys that have been representing you will not represent you in court. That's part of the collaborative contract that's signed at the very beginning. So you have always the right to step away, but you have to find a new attorney. You have to start over. Does that happen very often? Have you seen that in your practice? 
Um, the attorneys see this more, uh, and I'm watching it. I'm taking the emotionality out of it. So the probability of it going into litigation diminishes because it's yeah. the emotionality that drives you into this, I, you know, scorched earth solution of mm-hmm. approach. And, you know, a lot of the attorneys I work with have actually spent time learning more skills in the psychological realm, nonviolent communication, uh, empathy, the, the skills of reflecting back and helping people articulate their point of view. Um, some of the attorneys I work with are marvelous at that. So they're trying to do as much as they can, but that's not their formal training. Um, that's right. And I think sometimes we're just, you know, asking more than what they can provide, more than what their skill set has available. And again, they're wonderful on the legal side, but I always say, call your coach before you call the lawyer. Yes. Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. We will, we will help set you on a path, right? How we start is often how we end. So start, start with honor and respect. Even if you don't like the person anymore, do it respectfully. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have to be a bully, nor do you have to be a victim. You That's can stand right. up for yourself without being cruel. And having all of those micro decisions, many decisions, as you said, they're, they're massively important to the individuals in the marriage, mm-hmm. as well as if there are children involved. And I would even say what I call the constellation of people around them. It's the grandparents, it's the best friends, it's the family and in-laws that become outlaws. And yeah, and yeah. you have found yourself in the courtroom at different times. And what would you say to our listeners of what you're trying to protect them from and and why we're encouraging people to consider divorce coaching, collaborative process, discernment coaching again, because I mean, how bad could it be? Lord. So family court is actually open. You can go sit in family court and listen to how bad it can be. And it can be horrible. So I'm a therapist. Let's say I, if I was seeing the couple in North Carolina, I don't, they can't make me testify because I was seeing both people, right? They can't get my notes. They can't do a bunch of different things. But if I was seeing an individual as an individual therapy session, they can subpoena those notes. And unfortunately, the judge will tell you, oh, we'll guard them and you know, all the HIPAA stuff. And then the attorney will take the written notes, leave it on the ta- table, and the other partner can see them and then gets the therapist to read portions of the notes out of context in order to create the image they want about whoever is on the other side of this equation. And it's brutal. And if you're not well-versed in how to answer an attorney's question or redirect the information they're trying to get, if you're not well-versed in that, you get caught up in this process and you become part of the meat grinder. And again, these new modalities have come along. You've chosen to participate in them. Is that a reaction and an aversion to just trying to avoid being caught up in the the litigious meat grinder? Yes, absolutely. I've been constantly looking for another way of doing this. As a matter of fact, if you're willing to entertain it, I have a theory to eliminate the possibility of a meat grinder at the end of a marriage, should a marriage end up in divorce. Where this came from, my daughter is getting married in October, but for healthcare reasons, they needed to go to the magistrate and get married earlier so that she could get on her husband's healthcare 
process, right? Again, all kinds of legalities and that kind of thing. Yes. So we go into the courthouse and all they have to do is pay 50 bucks, get a sheet of paper, single sheet of paper that is their the beginning of their wedding license or marriage license, bring it to the magistrate. The magistrate says, uh, do you promise? Yes, I promise. Good. You're married now. Everybody signs and you walk out. So easy. So easy and irresponsible. People just yes. out getting married willy nilly. Right. They don't know the contract that they just signed because marriage is a legal document governed by the state. And there's a whole bunch of clauses in there about what you're supposed to do, what you can't do, what privileges you have, what privileges you've given up. Uh, that's what this contract is. Well, 13 months before that, I had bought a house with my wife and we sat for an hour going through a stack of papers that we had to sign every page on about the agreements for the mortgage and you know title and all this other kind of stuff. What if to get married, you actually had to see the contract that the state is telling you that you are committing to? And while you're there and in love, decide if we choose to end this, here's essentially our buy-sell agreement. Right. So in, I've run businesses, built them, and there's always a buy sell agreement so that a partner can get out. What if we did it then when we're in love instead of at the end when we're often in hate and fear? Oh, I'm so on board with this. And yes, the contract when you're in love, if, if it went this way, what would, what would we be agreeing to? What would be important to us? If we have children down the road, what would we want for them? Oh, I think you're really on to something, Don. And and it is a bit of a blind contract of stepping into something that is just so massive and has extreme consequences. Know what yes. you're signing up for. Be responsible. There's so many other things, like you said, mortgages, car loans, college, sending off applications, getting a driver's license, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. Uh you have to pass a test for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And maybe this will continue to add to the relationship literacy that I'm devoted to helping people to build. And I hear, and and we will all continue hearing on the relationship road trip. And when we come back again, Dr. Don Azevedo, who is chatting with us today about discernment counseling, the collaborative divorce process. And when we get back some stories of inspiration and families who have gotten it right and figured it out. We want to hear some of those. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses, to spouses, kids, and parents, to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships. The Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello, welcome back. Today we are chatting with Dr. Don Azevedo, who is clinical psychologist, discernment counselor, collaborative divorce coach, One of the things when we think about, okay, we've gone through discernment, we've made the decision, we've gone through our our collaborative divorce process, we're on the other side, but now there is this life, particularly if you share children, where you're still in relationship with your former spouse. I, I know for myself and probably other listeners, divorce brings up a bunch of guilt and shame, and sometimes we still take that out on our former spouse. Can you help us know a couple of pathways of of how we can avoid that and actually get to the good part of the divorce relationship? Guilt doesn't help us with anything. It is focused on the past and there are no choices from guilt that, that get us anywhere. Shame informs us that we have violated our own value system and we want to do better. And so it offers the opportunity to wake us up to a behavior we don't want or like and can change. Maybe not with the person we married, but we can change for ourselves and how we relate to others. That's the power of shame, right? Is it gives us a, an awareness and then a pathway to how to live better in more in concert with who we are and what our values are. So use shame that way. Don't use it to beat yourself up because again, that's useless. It doesn't come with any positive outcome Mm. or even negative outcome. It just comes with wasted time. Mm. Yeah. Not value added, but there's real wounds also that come from the marriage where there was betrayals and, and pain and horrible things said or done. How can we find our way to grace and forgiveness? Well, so let's define grace. Um, Grace is forgiving someone before they've made the error, knowing that they're imperfect and are going to make errors, and I've already forgiven you for it. That's so beautiful. Will mm -hmm. you say that one more time? So the definition of grace is forgiving someone even before they have made the mistake. It is the recognition that all of us are imperfect and all of us will make mistakes from time to time. And all of us will need grace from others and need to give grace to others. Beautiful. If you take nothing else away from today's show. And and I think that is applicable in all relationships and all walks of life and every micro moment that we have with another human. What a more beautiful, peaceful world we would be if we could offer more grace. Yes. 
Yes. And if we could offer it to ourselves, understand that you're a human being, which means we are imperfect, which means we'll make mistakes and it's okay. Learn from it. If you get an outcome you don't like from a behavior you've engaged in or a behavior you've done doesn't fit with your values, choose differently next time. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything about the choice you've already made, but you can do something about the choice you will make. Are there couples in your practice or a story that comes to mind where individuals were really able to find this forgiveness post-divorce, were able to come together still in the spirit of the family? So a long time ago, and it's only happened once in my 33 years of practice. So back then I used to see children um, and I saw even young children, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids, not the really young ones. That's a different specialty. And I had a kid that was coming in to see me. My typical practice was to see the parents first, get the history, try and understand, are there any genetic or you know, inherited kinds of things that might be affecting what's going on with the kid? So I come out to the waiting room and I have my little chart. This is pre-HIPAA, remember? Um, and, and I call the name of the child. I'm expecting one or two parents to stand up and four adults stand up. Oh my goodness. And I'm gobsmacked. I'm like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> and luckily they kind of anticipated this. And the two biological parents said, well, we're the biological parents were divorced and we've remarried and these are our partners and all of us have a, a, a stake in what's going on with this child. So they all trooped back to my office. I had to go get an extra chair <laughs> to accommodate everybody. And they gave me their points of view, their experiences with this child, which is invaluable because I can see the commonalities, the thread and the relationships across the board, how the child reacts with all of them and the unique differences, which suggests that's an, an added component from that particular parent. It was powerful and it was wonderful. And it meant that any intervention that I did was going to go between the homes. And this is one of the challenges for a child therapist in a divorce situation. They may have one parent who's willing to do the things that you're asking in order to reinforce the behavioral change. And that's where the magic happens is at home, not in the therapy office. But the other parent doesn't do that or doesn't buy into it. And so the child gets variable reinforcement for the behaviors that they're trying to develop. Hmm. And that's, that's detrimental. Yes. Consistency is one of the things we really try to uh, encourage and it provides that stability for the children. And, and when you sat with those four adults, was it awkward, tense, or were it just four people who we love this child and want to find the right path? So the only person who was awkward and tense was me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I didn't expect it. it. It hadn't happened. This isn't in your training about how you do child therapy and that kind of stuff. So I was awkward intense for the first 10 or 15 minutes, but they weren't. And they actually built on one another's stories. And they spoke to one another with honor and respect. Well, that child is so fortunate. Yeah. And when you think about that again, those parents could have chosen to stay in the unhappy, unsustainable, perhaps constant tension, but, and, and, and this idea that we can repurpose, we can repurpose our lives. Nobody sets out, we're, we're not pro-divorce here at the Good Divorce Show, but it continues to happen. Not every marriage 
is a marriage like yours. I'm going to just shout out to Janice and Don 40 years into your marriage. Do you have a secret sauce? Well, it's a one-year contract that's been renewed 40 times. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, although that sounds like a quip, it's really true in the sense that we review our marriage and what are our agreements and how has it changed? How did it change from when it was just us as a couple to when it was us as a family with one child? And then I went off to combat, which was difficult and then comes back. Um, and then two children, you know, raising those kids. How are we doing that? That's a whole different marriage. And then our kids launch off into college and we're empty nesters. And that's a different marriage. Mm-hmm. And then our kids bounce back for six months to a year to get jobs and that kind of stuff. And that's a different marriage. And then now we're in this phase where they're launched and they're good. And it truly is empty nest. And we're looking at retirement. And that's a new marriage. Another chapter, this reinvention of self all the time. And I, I, it just sounds like you and Janice have been really intentional and thoughtful. And many of us are just asleep at the wheel. We get married, one and done, had the wedding, and now go on with our lives. But this is a garden that has to be fertilized on a regular basis. Every single day. As a matter of fact, one tip that your listeners can, can do if they're still in their marriage and they want to start to turn it around Take lipstick or a china marker and on the mirror in your uh, primary bathroom where you're there every day, twice a day, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, whatever, write, choose. And then while you're brushing your teeth, think, what behavior am I going to engage in today that lets my partner know I choose you? Oh, that's a beautiful ritual. And, And I choose you above work. I choose you above the kids. I choose you above my parents, my brothers, my sisters, everyone else. And and for those that are listening who have come out the other side of divorce and they and they're looking to rebuild a new relationship. I mean, these are wonderful skills for all of our listeners. Um, and my hope always is that people will go on and find if they so choose a relationship that is more healthy, more sustainable. But there's a certain period of goo post-divorce where you just, you lose your sense of self, your schedule changes, your parenting identity change. Like it, it's gooey. Again, where and how do you guide people in that post-divorce process so that they once again can have a life that they celebrate? So one of the things that I do for folks is help them let go of the pain and the hurt and the betrayal from the marriage, it no longer serves them and reliving it only injures them by their own hand. Let that go and retain the the joyful parts, retain the parts where you learned things from the other person, retain the value that that relationship had, because we often make the mistake that if this betrayal has happened or if this marriage has ended, nothing good was there. Right. That is not true. It's not true. And there, there is a love story still in there. They're like nesting dolls. It, and the children, I mean, I like to believe our children came from love. They came from those moments of a loving relationship and there is goodness, but we've been taught if you end the marriage, then you have to throw everything out. And it was all just for nothing. Yeah. And, and that the, the marriage also takes away all the other relationships. So if I had a great relationship with my mother-in-law or my father-in-law or brother or sister-in-law, somehow I'm not allowed to have that anymore. And that's not necessarily the case. It is the case in some places where the other spouse is going to be bitter and angry and want to 
make life miserable. Mm-hmm. But each of those relationships gets to choose for itself. Mm. It is, they're not codependent on one another. So first, let go of all of that pain and, and sadness. You can't fix it. You can't change it. It's a scar on your body that you'll see every time you look, but it doesn't define you and it doesn't have to inhibit you. Oh, Dr. Don, so much wisdom. I'm so excited that you are bringing your many years of experience and background and expertise. And, and where can people find you in additional resources? So you can find me at azavitofamilypsychology.com. So you, you can find this in the show notes. That's probably the easiest way rather than me trying to spell it for you. Uh, I am in North Carolina. I can only practice in North Carolina. So if you're in a different state, I can't help you except for pointing you in the direction of people that I might know or that have the credentials that would suggest they'd be able to help you. And now every week you will be broadcasting so we can get you anywhere around the world. Even if we're not in your practice, we can be in the classroom with you. Um, The Relationship Road Trip is on the Variety Channel. It'll be on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. It will be live most of the time and take call-ins. So if you want to call in and ask a question or pose even a counter theory to anything that I've talked about, happy to, to talk with you. And just like this show, people can find all of the Voice America menu on all the podcast platforms that you may listen to, Apple and iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, you know, the whole gang. Uh, They're there waiting for your listening pleasure. And this has absolutely been a pleasure. Any last nugget of relationship wisdom you'd like to send our listeners off with today? Well, the biggest thing is if you want a life worth celebrating, and that's the tagline to my business, you know, create a life worth celebrating. If you want that, look at your own behavior because all the outcomes you're getting in your life come from the behaviors you exhibit in the world and you can change those. And the last one, one of Don's key rules of life, behavior is truth. If you track the behavior of another person, they tell you who they are. Believe them. Thank you, Dr. Don Azevedo. And to all our listeners, we remind you each week, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.